You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. And I'm Amber. And I'm Scott, but I'm not here. There is no Scott again this week. He should be joining us next week, barring no uh, horrible things happen to him. No more disasters. <laughs> and Yeah. Oh, man. He's had an eventful couple of weeks, and we'll let him catch you up on those. But we're definitely sending him some thoughts, again, of healing, but for a different thing this time. <laughs> Poor man. Oh, yeah. Some thoughts of healing and being pain-free, whatever it takes to get there. (laughs) I'm just going to wrap him in bubble wrap so he can continue to do the show with us. That's starting to sound like a good plan. (laughs) So welcome to Old Timey Crimey. We're here to talk about some historical true crimes and some filthy words as usual. But first, don't forget our about our Patreon, that is patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, where you can find our bonus episodes that we do every week in addition to our mega bonus episodes, which are about the size of a regular weekly episode, but it's different. Uh, We've been trying different things with them. Last time was 70s, and next time, who knows? I guess you'll have to subscribe and be a patron to find out. So, uh... Social media, Old Timey Crimey, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know the drill. You're probably a long-time listener, sometimes listener, something, so you know this. All right, let's dive in, shall we? We've got a really horrible person to talk about that you picked. I did. I really did. Amber actually tried to get this particular episode in during Spooky Ween, which we are just past. And I will admit to being the one who is like, eh, I don't see much of the spooky there. So maybe we'll do a ghost something something. And that's how we ended up doing the the Tower of London ghosts. But then as soon as her next turn came, Amber was like, this one. She killed maybe up to 400 babies. Like, I feel like this is definitely one to talk about. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I am not in any way saying that it's not. I I was just, I was just pointing out, like giving giving them a little behind the scenes access as to when we pick our episodes. Every once in a while, there's either a moment when Amber picks one and I'm like, I bought a book on that that I'm going to read and I'm going to do that eventually, but I don't have time this week. (laughs) <laughs> or something like that, or she picks one that we've already done and doesn't realize. So we have those weeks occasionally. So I'm just giving a little little peek behind the curtain. So, <laughs> yes, we are talking this week about Amelia Dyer. And boy, is it Dyer. Holy shit. Although her name is not spelled that way. It's spelled D-Y-E-R. But she was born in 1837 in Pyle Marsh, in, that is uh, in Bristol in the United Kingdom, in England. She had four older siblings. Her father was a master shoemaker, and uh, the, her name when she was born, the family name was Hobley, which... Which is appropriate for a shoemaker. <laughs> yes, thank you. I thought so, too. I even have in parentheses, shoemaker named Hobley. <laughs> <laughs> 
So now, and he was a shoemaker, not a cobbler, I should point out, because I did learn there is a difference. In Britain at the time, cobblers were generally restricted to repairing shoes. And then shoemaker, well, I, I think you can probably guess, makes the shoes. So unlike so many at the time, this was not a poor family. I mean, they weren't rolling in the dough, but they weren't in the depths of poverty either. So she was actually taught reading and writing. Oh, my God. They taught a woman to read and write. Oh, my goodness. How dare they? And she really liked poetry and literature. Although we have some later writing of hers that I was like, you want to think maybe a period or a comma or some sort of punctuation somewhere? So I think that 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 went away eventually. Now, Well, she liked it. That didn't mean she was good at it. (laughs) That is very true. There are many people about whom you can say that. I might be one of them. I don't know. So I wanted to tell you about some British pubs in Pile Marsh. (laughs) Let's have it. If you go to Pile Marsh, you can visit the St. Anne's Boardmill Social Club, which I was hoping that was one of those cool places that has like an old fashioned name, but it's really like a social club, like of the, the old fashioned variety. Now, I was glancing over the reviews of this place, and I just want to give you uh, three. Oh, no. Lovely lady was very helpful as we had to drop off the food down for a wake. That's number one. Number two, went for a funeral. Friendly staff, plenty of space. And just to be reassure you, this is, in fact, they do serve alcohol here. There are plenty of people who are talking about the beer prices. So, And then finally, great place. Better when Brian England isn't there. Oh, my God. There's so much about that that, first of all, somebody felt the need to leave that in a review, name-checking a person. And second of all, this guy's last name is England. In England. <laughs> that is outstanding. Yes. There is also the Dark Horse, if you're looking for a bar without a funeral. Uh, the Lockup, which eh, feels right. The Fire <laughs> Engine, or you can go get plowed at the Plow Inn. The Plow Inn. Yes. And finally, if you finish off your night of drinking, I don't actually know how late they're open, but if you finish off your night of drinking and they're still open, you can stop and get yourself some fish at Oh My Cod. Wow. <laughs> You're so happy about that. I am so happy. I was so happy when I found it that I sent it to Jackson in a Snapchat. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then he was like, you need to find a case that's set in that area so that you can have an old timey crimey where you talk about that. And I was like, that's what I'm doing. Why do you think I have that? And then I was like, oh, right. There could be a a dozen different other reasons that I would find. Oh, my God. In Pile Marsh in the UK (laughs) that have nothing to do with the podcast. So, yeah, that I am. I'm going to go to Britain someday and I'm going to go to Oh My Cod and get myself some fish. (laughs) (laughs) So now Amelia Dyer, life, you know, even though her family wasn't super poor or anything, life wasn't great. It was still the 1800s. So you could still have something like, oh, her mother, Sarah Hobley, who caught typhus. And did apparently recover, but after that she experienced some mental illness. Apparently typhus can cause altered mood status, and if untreated, that tends to be fatal. 
Well, typhus tends to be fatal. I'm thinking, judging by my reading of the symptoms, there might have been some swelling of the brain that caused. Yeah, that's that's what I got as well. And then after that, she became increasingly like violent, especially to the children because she was a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, yeah. Now, reading about typhus, I was unaware that a cluster of cases of epidemic typhus happened in southwestern PA, Pennsylvania, where we are from 2004 to 2006, and was caused by flying squirrels that were nesting in the cabins at a wilderness camp. Squirrels. Flying squirrels, which I didn't know we had until recently. Oddly enough, it wasn't the typhus thing. It was like somebody posting on Facebook in, you know, my hometown, like, what is this little guy? And somebody else was like, I think that's a flying squirrel. And I was like, we have those? (laughs) I've never seen them here, but sure, not. well, that's the the weird thing, because you also see up in Warren County, where I'm from in Pennsylvania, you also see black squirrels, which I don't ever see down here. We have the, the gray ones and I think the brown ones, but I've never seen a black one down here. So Yeah, I don't think I have either. This is the Squirrel Podcast with Amber and Christy. <laughs> we went really far off on that tangent. Yes, we did. I will note that those cases in that cluster were part of only 47 cases that have happened from 1976 to 2010 in the United States. So not something you need to stay up at night worrying about unless you have flying squirrels in your walls, in which case, get that checked out. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so Amelia Dyer's mother died when she was 12. And actually, during that you know time period previous to her mother's death, Amelia was the one who was taking care of her mother by and large. She also had some other losses in her youth. Uh, two sisters, Sarah Ann in 1841 at age six, who was older than Amelia Dyer at the time. And she had a younger sister, Sarah Ann... In Not 18- confusing. <laughs> yeah, don't don't do that, people. Don't don't name a child after after a dead child. In eighteen forty five, at six months old, that is that is a rough and weird to be mourning two people of the same name in the course of four years. That's I'm not excusing anything she does, but that'll mess with your head. So Yeah, but also maybe it was bad juju. That name should not be in the family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe stop naming people that in this family. So Amelia Dyer ended up living with an aunt in Bristol and then apprenticed with a corset maker. And then eventually she found her own lodgings uh, about a mile or so from her family's. And in 1861, she married a man named George Thomas. Now... Dyer was 24 when they married, and George Thomas was... I'm actually going to give our listeners five seconds to shout out their guess at how old they think George Thomas was. So, five, four, three, two, one. How old was he, Amber? I had 59. He was indeed 59 to her 24. No shade on age differences, but that one's a bit much. And even back then, that must have caused some some side eye, some real hard side eye, because on their paperwork to get married, they both fudged the ages. Now, sources very wildly 
But I went with the one that said that he dropped 14 years and she added six. So their age difference appeared to be only 15 instead of 35. Which was much more acceptable. Um, Yeah, I I had something pretty similar that she added six and he deducted 11. Um, So, yeah, but... And she was like, no, I'm 30. And he's like, no, I'm in my 40s. This is cool. Like, <laughs> It really says something if the age difference was so big that they disapproved of it back then. Yeah, right? Yeah. You could marry off when you were 11. Like, <laughs> Right? So she went into nursing, and she actually did some nursing work in an asylum which between that and her experience with her mother, we're going to see, you know, she has some experience with symptoms of mental illness and she might use those eventually. We don't have any definitive proof, but there's uh, circumstantial. So she had a daughter, Ellen, and then the same year that she had Ellen, George Thomas died. That was in 1869, which, I mean... He was 59 when they married, eight years, so he was 67. He, I think he outlived the life expectancy like one and a half to two times. <laughs> <laughs> so with a child and being a widow, she couldn't really be a nurse anymore, so she was looking for something to turn a profit. Now, we're going to talk about a societal issue that for a few decades at this point had been progressively getting worse. And that is illegitimate children. And the reason it was progressively getting worse was because 35 years before this, in 1834, England passed a law that made it so that men who fathered illegitimate children didn't have any responsibility for them. Isn't that nice? That is nice. For the men. Yeah, love that. Not your problem, guys. Don't worry about it. Exactly. Go knock up whoever you want. We got your back. You sow your wild oats wherever you see fit. Yeah. So the argument went that if the mother got money from the father for the illegitimate child, she had no reason to marry. And the the old system had encouraged extortion and perjury. Quote from one of the uh, people involved in this, the effect has been to promote bastardy, to make want of chastity on the woman's part the shortest road to obtaining either a husband or a competent maintenance. So they're basically saying that like, the ladies are all slutting it up so that they can get pregnant and get child support and that then, then they have no reason to get married. I, I know some people who are bastards and it's uh, the people who were behind this law. So Yeah. <laughs> So this was a part of the whole revamping of the system that tried to change how poverty was managed in England and Wales. We talked in the Jack the Ripper episode where we focused on the victims about the rise of workhouses. This was what prompted that rise of workhouses as the remedy to poverty instead of other poverty relief relief options. So this was a serious messing up of the system, which, while it wasn't great to begin with, was a sure sight better than this very heavy-handed, poor-shaming bullshit. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, as, as soon as a woman started showing, boom, 
out of a job or boom, out of a social safety net in the form of your family and friends because you're being shunned. And so none of those things help matters when you're already in a very precarious position. So as usual, there's always somebody or many somebodies to swoop in and take financial advantage of issues in society and suffering and just cause a lot more suffering in response. So a whole business enterprise flourished in response to this particular issue. Now, we're going to talk about baby farming, and it had already existed in some form prior to that law passing, sort of like the poor woman's wet nurse. So the the rich ladies, they could send their baby off to be nursed by someone who was had just had a baby recently and therefore had breast milk still. And that woman would also take care of the child and, you know, basically was also a nanny many times. This was when the women didn't have the resources to handle raising an infant. And so they also, you know, the poor women needed somewhere to send their children to. And so this is what happened as a result. You send your child to someone to be tended to, but the results tended to be a little different than, you know, with the rich ladies' kids. Well, yeah, because so, so I, this is like, I guess the answer to like daycare, because daycare doesn't exist. So you just take my baby. And when I'm in a better situation, I'll come back and get my baby. Yeah. Now, there were, I'm sure there were some women for whom or families for whom this was intended to be more of a permanent solution. But there were many, many women who just intended to get back on their feet and get something of a stable home going and then bring the child back. But they just had that period of uncertainty where they couldn't do that with a a child in tow. So Amelia Dyer, she has her nurse training and she also knew a midwife, Ellen Dane. And Dane got her into baby farming. Now, at first, Dyer started with a boarding house for knocked up single ladies. And she would deliver the babies and then keep them afterwards. What happened to them in those early days is uh, anybody's guess. But basically, the way baby farming in general worked was that a baby farmer would sometimes take in the woman who was pregnant with the illegitimate child or just take in the child after birth. And then this wasn't free for the mother. They would get the mother either on a payment plan or just charge a full fee then and there. So I have some numbers. For poorer women, it tended to be around five pounds. Amber, I heard in your sources that you were on the currency converter. How much was five pounds in today's U.S. dollars? I did not look up the, the low end. I looked up the high end baby oh, farming. Okay. Well, I will tell you, the low end is $600, or at least in, in Amelia Dyer's early years. That's where those numbers are coming from. If a dude had an illegitimate child and they wanted somebody to, you know, keep hush-hush about it and take care of it, that was 50 pounds, which is $6,000 in today's U.S. dollars. And then for the rich families who, you know, you have a daughter who gets into trouble and you need to get this taken care of fast in a time when their abortions are, I'm sure, highly illegal. I didn't even bother looking. I just assumed. (laughs) So uh, that was 80 pounds, which is? A little over 12,000 U.S. dollars. Yes, it was uh, definitely quite the racket. 
And sometimes the money would be sent through mail. Eventually, uh, Dyer, at least, upped her game a little bit with the, the financial aspect and used wire transfers sometimes. So uh, Fancy. Keeping, <laughs> keeping with the technology, and not that we give her any props for anything. And if you're, you know, you were a baby farmer who was taking care of one of these children, well, proper care of a child wasn't an issue. You got a loud baby, you can just give it some alcohol or one of many concoctions like Godfrey's Cordial, which had two nicknames that I found, Mother's Friend, and the other one was deeply unsettling, The Quietness. Well, but as unsettling as it is, appropriate, especially in Dyer's case. Yes. Now, I want to talk about some of the ingredients in this because I did look this up and I was absolutely horrified. Uh, We start with some ginger, you know, calm the tummy. All right, that's fine. Uh, Oil of sassafras uh, that some modern sources say can be antiseptic and analgesic. So it does relieve pain. Okay. All right. Sure. we're, We're sounding good so far. Then Venice treacle, uh, which is a combination of the following. Viper flesh. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Opium. And a ton of other herbal ingredients. And then a nice dose of rectified spirits of wine, which I thought with the word rectified, maybe it was a, a lower alcohol content, but no, rectified spirits of wine i looked as 95 percent alcohol wow and the viper flesh i would like to point out makes it snake oil <laughs> literally and this would have between it would have about one and a quarter grain of opium per ounce of apothecary system. I did not look up what that translates to. There's a specific measurement system called apothecary system that this is not necessarily per ounce, but per ounce apothecary system. But it had enough opium that this is this is not good to be giving to children. It's controversial. I'm going to say it. Don't give opium to children. <sighs> opium and alcohol mixed together. <laughs> yes. And this was sold over the counter. You could just stop by your local chemist and grab a bottle and head out the door. Nobody asked any questions. One thing about it is that it made children not want to eat. The result of this was that they would die of malnutrition and then the death would be recorded as such, not as fed the child a whole bunch of poisons. Right. Yeah. So, but even that, uh, even that was a little too hard for some people. So Amelia Dyer got into baby farming. She would put out ads in the newspapers that she and her husband, who was only there some of the time, would adopt babies into their lovely home and family. And then they would proceed to take the baby in, neglect it, starve it, drug it, or actually probably the other way around, drug it neglect it, starve it, and then report the death to the local surgeon. You might have been right the first time, though, because I did see the one source had said that she would starve the babies to death, and then when they would start crying, she would then give them the drug so that they would just sleep until they passed. 
Oh, I actually didn't realize that it might have gone in that order. Hmm. Oh, God, she's no, horrifying. It could have it gone either way. Not like we had a whole lot of witnesses here. Um, yeah, and with the volume, I'm sure that it went every which way it could. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, that at, le- at least one out of 400 times, I was correct, and I'm sad about that. So in 1872, Amelia married William Dyer and got the name that she would carry for the rest of her life. They had two kids, Mary Ann, who was born in 1874. Now, Mary Ann went by Polly, which is what we're going to call her for the rest of the episode. And a boy named William, he was born two years later. And then after a little while, we don't know how long Dyer left William. So there were also some other children who possibly died in infancy, but we don't have any records of them. Now, as I said... Apparently, for some people, neglecting children is just too much of a hassle. So you have to spend, you know, some of that money on the baby while it's still alive, one way or the other. So at some point, she just started flat out murdering them. Also, that that booze and opium she was trying to keep for herself. So if uh, the mothers wrote to her about their babies, mostly she just wouldn't reply or maybe she'd reply once and then just correspondence would drop off. And then maybe somebody would come back for the baby and she would just give them a replacement child if the baby that they were there for was deceased already. (laughs) That's 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 not how you do business. Hey, this one looks close enough. You'll like this one. Yeah, I gave you a girl. This is a boy. So now young Polly actually started noticing the constant rotation of babies in the house and asked her mother about it. And Dyer, in response to this, called herself the angel maker and said Jesus wanted the babies more than their parents did. So she was just sending the babies to him. Hmm. Yeah, no. So it... (laughs) 1879, the police start looking into her because one of the doctors that she would report the deaths to is like, uh, you've had four babies die in two weeks. So I'm gonna go over there and talk to the cops about that because it's getting a little sus over here. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little fishy. Yeah, just a little bit. She was charged and convicted with neglect, not murder. And as a result, she was sentenced to six months hard labor. Hard labor, we haven't had too many sentences of that. It's basically, if you're awake, you're working. So it might be something that's actually productive. You might be making things in a prison workshop or growing things on a prison farm. Or it just might be something completely useless like, hey, see that pile of rocks over there? I want you to move it to the other side of the yard. You know, something incredibly just to take up your time and exhaust you. Now, it is said by some sources that this severely affected her mental stability. After this, she was in and out of asylums and was reported to have some suicidal tendencies. There are some questions, though, because the timing of her asylum stays tended to line up with the timing of questions being asked. Seems a little suspect. Yep. She did that exact thing in 1890 
when suspicions were raised again because she tried to pull one of her little fast ones with the baby switcheroo. A woman, actually a governess, had left her baby in Dyer's care, came back to see her baby and was like, nah, that's uh, that's not my kid. She actually checked for a birthmark that she knew the baby had. And what do you know? No birthmark. It was after this that Dyer had one of her episodes and she had a suicide attempt. She chugged two bottles of laudanum. But at this point, she had such a tolerance that even those two bottles didn't do the trick. Oh, good try, though. Good try. That's a tolerance. That is a tolerance. So it was after this that she changes her modus operandi a little bit because she sees the doctor was the weak link before. So she's just going to skip that step. First of all, she's going to maybe not use the quietness so much. That name is so unsettling. I hate it. It really is. The quietness. What demented mind thought that that was a good idea? Oh, my God. And so she switched over to strangulation via dressmaker's tape. Usually dressmaker's tape. She may have used other uh, methods sometimes, but that seemed to be her go-to. And death never came slowly enough for her enjoyment. Quote, I used to like to watch them with the tape around their neck, but it was soon all over with them. Yeah, they didn't live a lo- long enough after she started to strangle them to make it enjoyable for her. Yeah, she wanted to watch the suffering for as long as possible, which is horrifying. Even with this uh, and disposing of the bodies on her own, because obviously a, a child who's been visibly strangled would probably raise even more red flags with the police than, you know, having multiple baby deaths reported over just a short period of time. She's still not able to fly under the radar. There are parents coming back for their kids, and that starts to get some notice. So she picks up some pseudonyms and drags her family around. Now, at this point, uh, she was living with, maybe working with, Polly, her daughter. And Polly had a husband, Arthur Palmer. And so as soon as the cloud of suspicion and questions and confused mothers started hanging over her, she and the family would pick up, move somewhere else, and start again under a new name. Now, her mental health is still not going great, or maybe more questions were (laughs) raised. And she ends up in the asylum one last time in 1893. This one is a particularly rough go, So she resolves not to go back. If she can help it, she's going to stay out of this asylum because that particular stint did not go well for her at all. So in 1895, we next see her setting up shop in Berkshire. She actually did end up in the workhouse for a little bit. And that's when she picks up a new accomplice, a woman named Jane Smith, who goes by Granny. Granny Smith. <sighs> yeah. And but we, Jane, Jane wasn't very old, though. Yeah. Did, do you have an age for her? Because I never found one. No, but she, like, it, in one of my sources, they just described her as a young woman. 
okay, because I was confused about how this was working, whether because the the sources I read said that she used Granny Smith to sort of complete the family picture for having a kindly grandmother in the picture. So, you know, Amelia Dyer had somebody to call mom or something like that. And so it looks like there's even more, you know, kindly maternal women in this household. But maybe it was the other way around. Maybe it was. So Amelia had been drinking and and doing drugs so much that her face had changed notably. And she, she looked much, much older. So she had Jane to come and make Amelia look like a motherly figure. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Thank you. I was confused. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, especially when you get multiple people of the same gender being discussed, uh, you get a little pronoun confusion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jane was there to make Amelia look more like a motherly figure of like, look, here's another woman that I take care of and she can also help with the babies. So give us all your babies. Yeah, maybe a a more vital, active, appearing woman so that in case anybody kind of looked at Amelia Dyer and was like, hey, you seem a little decrepit to be taking care of infants. Well, and that actually was happening because Amelia would go for the meetings and be like, you're a little old to be taking on these babies. Like, I don't know that I'm comfortable with this. So that kind of helps Amelia's case to be like, it's okay, you can trust me. I'm like a grandma. <laughs> and I imagine that there was also the idea of breastfeeding in there with her even looking even older than her age. The The mothers would question, well, how are you going to feed the child? And she could just point to Granny Smith, for whatever reason she's called Granny, and say, oh, look, she can be a, a wet nurse of sorts. Yeah. So that happened. And at some point, okay. We're going to go to March 1896. There's an ad in the Bristol Times and Mirror, Wanted, Respectable Woman to Take Child. That ad was placed by Evelina Marmon, who was 25, and she was looking for a place for her two-month-old baby girl, Doris. Now, Evelina was a barmaid. She had come to the city from her parents' farm hooked up with a customer, got knocked up, and now she was alone with her baby. So her plan was find a place where Doris could stay just temporarily while Evelina gets back on her feet and raises and earns enough money to raise a child on her own. No small feat in those days, but she had that goal in mind. Oddly enough, her ad ended up right next to another one that suited it unfortunately perfectly. Married couple with no family would adopt healthy child, nice country home. Terms, 10 pounds, which is $1,500 in today's U.S. dollars. So Evelina answered that ad, and she got a letter back from a Mrs. Harding, who hailed from Reading on March 20th. And Mrs. Harding said that she and her husband just wanted a child to love. She had a wonderful environment for any child to grow up in. Quote, we are plain, homely people in fairly good circumstances. I don't want a child for money's sake, but the company and home comfort. I and my husband are dearly fond of children. I have no child of my own. A child with me will have a good home and a mother's love. (sighs) No, it won't. 
She gave her assurances that the child would be raised with religion and that she would never mind ever once the mother coming to visit and even offered some references. Quote, I promise you faithfully that if you will send her to me, I will do mother's duty for her and bring her up as my own. End quote. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, right? Now, she wanted to do an outright adoption rather than the setup that Evelina wanted, which was a weekly fee until Evelina was ready to take Doris back. But finally, Evelina does agree with Dyer's offer. And then we're going to skip to another scene on March 30th, 1896. A barge on the River Thames, discovered a packet in the water. When they opened that packet, they found, much to their horror, wrapped in linen, newspaper, and brown paper, a child. Uh, That child would eventually become known as Helena Thomas. She was 16 months old. And there was some writing on the paper. Couldn't quite read it, but when the police got this in their hands... Detective Constable James Beatty Anderson used a microscope, to, and using that microscope, he was able to discern the name Mrs. Thomas and the address on the paper, after which they set up surveillance. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. What have we been playing lately? Best Fiends! And why have we been playing it lately? Because it's so much fun. Best Fiends is fantastic because anyone can play it. Yes, they can. And it's made for adults, but it's so bright and colorful and super approachable. I mean, let's face it. Life is stressful sometimes. (laughs) And we could all use something to de-stress. Best Fiends is perfect for that because it challenges your brain with fun puzzle levels, but it's nice and casual, so it doesn't stress you out. So, have you passed a new level that was particularly challenging lately? Actually, I just did before we started recording tonight. I had this level where I had to gather all these plants, and I beat it! It felt so good to look up at Jackson and say, I won! And now it's everyone's favorite time. Level, Level chat. chat. I am at twenty-one ninety-nine. I am at fourteen thirty-one. So your challenge, as our listeners, is to catch up to Christy. That's my challenge too. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. So March 31st, 1896, the very next day, Evelina Marmon and Mrs. Harding meet. Now, Mrs. Harding is older than Evelina expected, but she really thought she had no other options at this point. She handed over Doris the 10 pounds and also a box of clothing and other items for the baby. In return, she got a receipt 
after which Mrs. Harding was then going to take the baby home to Reading. The text of the receipt, I, Annie Harding of 45 Kensington Road, in consideration of the sum of £10 paid to me by Evelina Edith Marnin, do hereby agree to adopt Doris, the child of the said Evelina Edith Marnin, and to bring up the child as my own without any further compensation over and above the aforementioned sum of £10. And this was signed by both of them. So Evelina, with a very heavy heart and many tears, says goodbye to her baby. A few days after that, Mrs. Harding writes to her and says, everything's just fine. It's great. Hey, I had to go over to uh, a relative's house and help them out with some stuff. But other than that, everything's fine. Evelina wrote back, and in return, she got nothing but silence. So Harding who you may have guessed is Amelia Dyer, took Doris to Willesden, uh, a neighborhood in London, instead, where she killed baby Doris using dressmaking tape to strangle her. Doris was four months old. Now, according to sources, Polly was there, and together they disposed of the body, they wrapped it up, And after that, they, well, disposed of the body. They didn't quite dispose of it just yet. They did wrap it up and set it aside. And then they went through the clothes that Evelina had given them for the baby. And whatever they wanted to keep, they picked out. And then they had another pile for stuff that they would hawk. And then a third pile for gifts to the landlord in which they put the baby's boots, which they gave the landlord for her baby daughter, which that's got to be horrifying when you, you know, Right. Yeah, when you realize that your baby is wearing the boots of a murdered child given to you by the murderess. It's so messed up. It is seriously messed up, yeah. So the very next day, Amelia Dyer took in another baby, Harry Simmons. Now, he was just over a year old, didn't have any spare dressmaking tape left over, so they had to unwrap... Doris and take that tape off in order to strangle him. We have this incredible... I have no extra tape. Let me just use this again. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. The thing is, we have this story in particular that goes into the specifics and many of the details, like the fact that they unwrapped the body the next day and reuse the tape on another child what details of the many many others that she murdered that are horrifying don't we know i i I don't even want to think about it really but i'm just pointing that out that we know this what don't we know for god's sakes like (sighs) there's a lot we don't know because all in all i think they only like found maybe 10 of the victims but there are hundreds yeah mm-hmm. of dead babies yes exactly it's absolutely appalling and it was this aspect of society in which they uber shamed mothers of illegitimate children and didn't allow them any relief from society any assistance even from the person responsible for helping them get to that position no nothing that this is the result of the society i i I blame Amelia Dyer for killing many, many, many children. 
I blame the way that society treated women and pregnancy and life in general. People have sex, okay? People have sex. They're going to have sex whether they're married or not. It's going to happen. We are human beings. It's just going to happen. And sometimes a result of sex is, surprise, pregnancy. And to treat it like you're not even worthy of employment or assistance or friendship or family or support is just absolutely appalling and infuriating and is not what a society who values children and family does, even though on the face of it, they were pretending that they value children and society. No, what they wanted to do was shame women and punish them for having sex. Yeah, no, they only value like children and families if it's their cookie cutter version of children and families. So you're married and you have kids and you stay at home and take care of those kids while your husband works. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. It has to fit with their vision of what's right. And otherwise, society will punish you and punish you and punish you. And they don't care if babies are dying because of this, which I put the blame on the government and the church, because I'm sure a lot of this policy was also influenced by the church as much as I do dire. Honestly, I don't take any blame away from her because she was the one who was doing these horrible acts. But it was society setting her up to do this. It was society setting this up that there would be so many unwanted children. There has to be an outlet for that. And that outlet is horrifying. But at the same time, like when she started doing this, she was one of those women in society, too, where her, her husband had died. Mm-hmm. Her body had dried up. She couldn't work because she was a single mom. And she was really didn't have a lot of options as to how do I raise this kid when I can't have a kid and a job by myself? Yeah. Unfortunately, she was of the nature where she looked at the situation and was like, huh, how can I profit off of all these women in a similar position to me rather than, you know, how can I help or how can I not be a horrific murderess? So it sucks that she was in that position, but it it super, super sucks that so many other women were in that position and they had their babies die at her hands. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can tell I'm I'm getting a little heated. Getting a little heated here. Getting a little heated. It just... We've, we've talked about so many cases of, of murder, so many cases. And this is one where it really feels like society was just so willing to set these people up for failure and then look away. Which is exactly how she got away with this for as long as she did. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, she was caught. She was caught. And she was charged with neglect and got six months hard labor. That's not caring about dead babies. Yeah. Oh, four in two weeks. Four kids in two weeks. That's about six months of moving rocks. We're yeah, even yeah. now. <laughs> exactly. So, okay. All right. Amber's chugging. You know what? So am I. <laughs> <laughs> they... Uh, kept the bodies around for another day before tossing the bodies as well as some bricks into a carpet bag and tossing that carpet bag into the Thames. Now, meanwhile, the police had their surveillance going. They had tracked Mrs. Thomas that was on the paper that that first baby was wrapped up in 
to Dyer's doorstep. It took a little bit of tracking because the address wasn't actually where she was living, but they did manage to find her. Or it wasn't where she was living at the time. They set up a decoy to arrange a meeting with Dyer under the auspices of another adoption, after which they swooped in to search the home. The house did smell like death, but they didn't find any bodies, which is horrifying in its own way. How many decomposing children must they have kept around for days on end for that scent to linger without even any bodies in the house? One of the things I'm really curious about here, and it's not really talked about a lot, is this is actually Polly's house from what I understand. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So I don't understand, like, I'm sorry, if my mom came to stay with me and kept bringing back dead babies and then being like, I'm just going to keep this in the kitchen for a little while, if that's cool. <laughs> like, if, if she has brought so many bodies into my home that it smells like decomposing flesh, I think I'm going to be like, you know what? Maybe you should go back to one of those workhouses, Ma. Yeah, two things. <laughs> um, that is a very good point. Two things. First of all, remember, Polly was raised. We don't know how indoctrinated into this idea of an excuse that Amelia Dyer passed on to her, but she was raised to think that the mothers didn't want them, but Jesus did. So they were just helping the children's immortal souls go to Jesus. So she may have been acting under that. Maybe, but I mean, at this point, she's like 23. She's mm -hmm. married. She's been away from it enough that she's probably like her brain is probably like, this is fucked. Like, <laughs> I would hope, but I've also talked on the show before about how everybody has their own normal. And if I don't, that's not a real thing. Normal is not a thing. No, that's the thing is everybody has their <laughs> own normal. My example always is growing up as a child. My dad worked for an oil company and was on the road, sometimes for a couple weeks at a time, sometimes for just a week. But he, w he wasn't home at, at five o'clock, you know, with and we didn't have dinner together every night. You know, I saw him on the weekends usually or sometimes on the random weeknight, depending on his schedule. So my normal until I started getting to the point where I was having sleepovers at friends' houses was dad's not home at night. Imagine my surprise. <laughs> and I'm not blaming my dad in any way. Shaver. He's, a, he's a great dad. But I'm just saying that I, I was just, that was my normal. Imagine my surprise when other girls' dads were home. Yeah, like my dad worked nights. So like, I would be like, that's really weird. Why are both of your parents here? Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Same. That was your normal to them. Their dad being home at night was their normal. And, you know, everybody's got to do what they got to do to put food on the table for their family. So, you know, we're, we're definitely not throwing any shade at our dads. But... It's just a matter of that's what's normal to you. If she was raised in this for long enough, she, and especially if, if her mom ever, with all that, you know, drinking and everything, got violence, she would have a couple of different reasons to just go along to get along. Yeah, you know what, though? I, I, I still, I, I feel like either she was helping. Oh, yeah. Or she probably needs to be institutionalized herself just by being raised by her. Um, I'm going to go with both. Perhaps both, yes. Yeah. So the police find some evidence. They find 
tape, dressmaker's tape. Uh, they find some correspondence about adoptions, including telegrams and letters. They find pawn tickets for baby's clothes that were put into Hawk. And they find some evidence of her placing ads, like receipts and, and the like. On April 4th, 1896, pretty damn quick, they arrested Amelia Dyer and her son-in-law, Arthur Palmer. Uh, they arrested her for murder, him for accessory. And it was not long after that that she would exonerate her son-in-law through her own confession. Uh, her daughter, Polly, was eventually charged as well, and we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. I just want to point out that in a newspaper article I found, it stated that above the door of the house where she was arrested, which Amber, as you noted, was Polly's house, there was a figure of Christ with the inscription, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to say that Polly was really, really brainwashed by the whole babies for Jesus thing. Well, what's her husband's excuse then? I don't think he has one. I think he, he he's either too spineless to stand up to his mother-in-law or he's psychotic enough that he's just going along with it. I don't know how much involvement he actually had either. He's not really referenced very much in the in the, the murders that we know about. So we don't really. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, like, I think if that was my mother-in-law, I don't think I'd fucking say anything either. Like, not to her. I'd, I'd probably like, hey, coppers over here. Just saying. Yeah. In in a way, both in appearance and in the, the way that she sort of barrels through everything to get what she wants, she reminds me of Leonardo Cianciulli that we talked about a couple months ago or a year ago or a decade. I don't know. Time means nothing anymore. Especially this week. <laughs> this election has been going on for a century. It feels like it. It does. Anyhow, so yeah, but she reminds me, I actually pulled up Leonardo Cianciulli to compare, and I was like, it may just be like the angle of the picture that it's like head on, or maybe the expression on their face, but I really feel like there's a similarity there. There, Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, that inscription above the doorway just really got me, and just the knowledge that it was Polly's house, as you brought up, I think is definitely telling as to Polly's mindset. Babies for Jesus. That's what she was doing. I think, I like to think, I don't like to think, I tend to think that there was some part of her mind that definitely knew that this was wrong, but it was her gut and she wasn't listening to it because especially, especially with a parent, and especially if that parent has been the only one raising you, it's going to be hard as hell to listen to your gut over that parent. Maybe. So don't let your mom tell you to kill babies for Jesus. Just say, I'm just saying. No killing babies for Jesus. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, after this all happened, they dredged the river. And there they found Doris Marmon and Harry Simmons. And after that, they found all told seven babies in the river. All of them were strangled. Now... One horrific detail. Oh, I'm just going to, if really. Is is this the baby by Clapper's Pond? Probably, yeah. Well, I'll get into it, but I'm going to give a quick warning. 
this is this is this is horrifying and and just if if I say it's horrifying, maybe you can't handle it. Consider skipping forward about we'll say forty five seconds. So I'm just gonna give this forty five seconds to talk about, and then I'm gonna move on. I probably won't even be that long. So gotta look at the time. Where's the time? There it is. Okay, one of the bodies was so decomposed that when they opened the parcel, the body fell apart. And head. And head. Don't forget the head. Yeah, the head the head fell apart. Oh my god. Oh, it's just oh Jesus. Not oh. Okay, so Time's up. All right. <laughs> well, we got another 13 seconds before they're coming back. So, uh, <laughs> all right. And breathe. Cleansing breaths. Not going to dream about that at all tonight. Please, God, no. So they were able to track down Evelina Marmon through the items that she had given Dyer when leaving Doris in her care. Evelina had to go in and identify the body, but keep in mind, they have several. They have at least seven, maybe plus the other one, that the, the first one, Helena, uh, that I, I mentioned was kind of the catalyst for finding all these children. Yeah, because they forgot to weigh Helena down, so she floated. Oh. And that's how they knew to drudge the river for the others. Well, poor Evelina Marmon had to pick her child out of a lineup of deceased children. Could you imagine walking into a room and there's just dead babies everywhere? And you're like, which one's yours? Straight to the asylum. Straight <laughs> to the goddamn asylum I would go. <sighs> like, there's, there's, no, there's no coming back from that. I like to think that people can come back from just about anything. But that has to leave such a scar on your psyche. Such a scar. That poor woman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Poor woman. So she actually was able to recognize the bag, the carpet bag they found Doris and Harry in as the one Mrs. Harding was carrying when they met to exchange Doris. Wow. And you have to, oh, I hate to even go there, but you have to think that she had some hope in the back of her mind that maybe everything was going to be okay. And then seeing that bag just was the end of all hope. Oh, I don't want to focus on that, but there's, there's, there's no good here to focus on. So I feel that now is a good time to mention that I actually found Amelia Dyer ages ago, not ages ago, but everything feels like ages ago. 10 minutes ago feels like ages ago. And I... <laughs> Decided I would never do this case. <laughs> Here I am bringing you to the dark side. I managed to find one excuse to get away from it, and that was Spooky Ween. Thank you, Spooky Ween. And then you brought it up a second time. I was like, I can't, I can't turn down a case that Amber wants to do a second time. And so I was like, all right, I'll do a murder podcast. Sometimes it's going to get really, really just awful. And... This is this is one of them. Honestly, you you have these 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 poor mothers, and you got to think that at least most of them wanted their babies and just couldn't because of the way society again <sighs> made it so that it was impossible. 
and just the hopelessness is just it's devastating. So so yeah, <laughs> sorry, I, I wasn't sure if I would bring that up or at any point, but I was like, you know what? I feel like now's the time to throw that in your face. <laughs> I I'm not even sad about it. <laughs> you're not. You're enjoying this. I am. You you are like so angry and uncomfortable. It's totally worth it. Uh. <laughs> Amber is not chaotic neutral she's chaotic evil all the way (laughs) all the way i'm in oh my gosh so okay it is in a way cathartic getting this out because there i i said it before when we did oc sneed my my murder victim doppelganger that the cases yes details and stuff stay with me but the general feeling of horror i'm able to leave behind after a little while once we've talked about them and once the episode is aired and all that especially since we just move on to another one next week. This is one I feel like will stick around for a little while, but I am able to get some of it out of my system. So that feels pretty okay. You know, it's, 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 it's feeling a little cathartic, but it still sucks. So. Well, if you want to erase this from your head after we're done tonight, I want you to Google the, uh, Oh my God. What was it? It was, uh, I, I found horrible things today. One was a Kentucky Klondike bar. Jesus. I don't think further scarring my psyche is the direction I want to go. No, but this will actually um, scar you enough that you won't remember the dead babies. The other is the (laughs) Alabama Hot Pocket. So um, go ahead and Google those. Please don't image search yet. Um, If but it will scar it will scar you more than the dead babies. I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm not going to and listeners, I don't think you should. <laughs> you probably should not do anything I recommend ever. Probably not. <laughs> At the very end of this, I want you to remind me to tell my Johnstown flood research story, but not right now because we need to get back to the case. So, I just needed that mental break of uh blaming you for my trauma. So, <laughs> that's fine. I'm here for you. <laughs> yes, you are. In the worst way. So Dyer, remember it's in late March, early April. She had taken in 20 children since Christmas. But eyewitnesses would later report that she sometimes took in six per day. Per day. Which is horrifying considering there was like no babies when they picked her up. Exactly. (laughs) And then so having done this for 30 years... That's where police came up with the figure that they were like maybe 300, 400 plus even is is the figures that they came up with. Now, I have a blurb from the Little Falls Weekly transcript. If the police are justified in assuming, as they do, that many of the children whose bodies have been taken from the river, or who are still mysteriously missing, met death at the hands of the notorious baby farmer or her accomplices, the woman is a murderess hundreds of times over and stands in the front rank of the unique criminals of the age. They also went on to speculate about motive. Quote, The woman murdered for gain primarily. But there is in the history of her crimes a suggestion that she was in love with the appalling work which made her rich and so found double pleasure in the wholesale disposal of her victims, end quote. But these bastards also called the parents who gave uh, and adopted their babies out inhuman. So fuck you. (laughs) 
It's society's fault. Okay, so she was in jail for a few weeks, at which point she finally confessed. And she wrote to Arthur, her son-in-law, My poor dear Arthur, oh, how my heart ache for you and my dear Polly. And I am sending this to tell you that I have eased my mind and I have made a full statement. I have told them the truth and nothing but the whole truth. As I hope to be forgiven, God Almighty is my judge. And I dare not go into his presence with a lie. I do hope and pray God will forgive me. I know I have done this awful thing, and I know that I alone shall have to answer for it. I have wrote out a true and faithful statement of everything. I hope God will give you both grace and strength to bear this awful trial. God bless you, my dear boy, your brokenhearted mother, A. Dyer. So the confession was actually five exercise books that they gave her that she filled and then the night before her execution. Oh, wait, we're not there yet. <laughs> oh, okay. I just I wanted to, just a little bit about the trial. I know you hate trials. <laughs> well, it's not like this was a long trial. So that's fine. <laughs> it wasn't. So uh, she did plead guilty to the murder of Doris Marmon. There was a trial, I think, to determine sanity, whether it would be, you know, uh, the, the death penalty or uh, guilty by reason of insanity or not guilty by reason of ins- insanity. There was testimony from people who knew her that she'd been pretty shifty and they thought something was up that they didn't quite know. And uh, Polly implicated her with what is called in the newspapers graphic testimony. God only knows. And there was also a testimony from an eyewitness who saw her disposing of Doris and Harry's body at the river. He actually said a quick good evening to her as he saw her pushing the carpet bag into the river. So the insanity defense did not really work. She was trying to say, oh, well, I've been in and out of the asylum. But the prosecution basically batted that away with the same thing that we've brought up, that it seemed like she was only going. We don't know for sure, but it seemed like she was only going to get out of sticky situations. So the jury deliberated. And I think I looked in my notes. I think we have an old timey crimey record, Amber. For how short it was? Mm-hmm. Is oh. it really? Okay. I'm going to read off the 30 minutes and under that I found in my notes. Now, this is my notes from all of our main episode cases and from my tinies. You and Scott may have had a tiny here or there that has something that competes with this. So, Roger Tickborn, 30 minutes. Jane Toppin, 27 minutes. Crippen, 27 minutes. George Joseph Smith, 22 minutes. John Hay, 15 minutes. Theo Durant, five minutes plus 15 minutes for a cigar. That's, I think, where oh, the cigar yes. thing came up. <laughs> yes, okay. I almost forgot about the five minutes of a cigar. And then Levi Weeks was a tiny that I did, and that was five minutes as well. Uh, this one, four and a half. She's our record winner so far. Yes. Congratulations, Amelia Dyer. You've won the record for the shortest deliberation and the worst human being. <laughs> uh, they sentenced her to hang. Now, sources very wildly, of course, but I have that she wrote in those five notebooks, those five exercise books while she was waiting for her sentence, her confession. But she did write some other stuff beforehand, and she, it does seem like the letter that she sent to her son-in-law does seem to implicate that she at least gave them some 
confessional material before that. Yeah. So, so it was across three weeks that she was alone in a cell that she, she filled these books. And um, then the night before the execution, the chaplain had asked her, do you have anything to confess? And she hands him all the books and goes, is this enough? Yeah. Yeah. And now the thing is, is Polly actually did have charges against her and she was set to go on trial for murder after her mother was executed, a week after. They subpoenaed Dyer, but then the judge ruled that she couldn't testify as she was considered dead upon her sentence that had been handed down already. But it ended up not mattering because Polly's charges were dropped the night before the execution, which happened on June 10th. She was hanged. Before that, her last words. Do you have her last words, Amber? Because there's something. I have nothing to say. Guess she said it all in those exercise books. So, <laughs> but yeah, after 30 years of baby farming, which is a kind of okay euphemism for murdering babies at 57 years old, she was hanged with nothing to say. So, locals near the river where she disposed of her last victims carved crosses into the footbridge going across the river in honor of the children. Her case did affect the system a little. A little. <sighs> a little. There was some reform of adoption laws that let police investigate baby farms. Police were watching the personal ads a little bit more closely, trying to nip this in the bud. There may have been some hindrance through these laws and, and more attention of baby farm operators, but it did not stop them altogether. Parliament did urge, and it eventually happened, for the laws to change so that fathers of illegitimate children would actually bear some responsibility for them. There was one case in 1898 where a baby was found on a train, and there was some suspicion, although nothing ever seemed to come of it, that Polly did one of these baby farm type adoptions and then left the baby on the train. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Then there's the Jack the Ripper connection that isn't a Jack the Ripper connection, but it's she was just like any person who was found guilty of even pickpocketing in the 20 years before and after Jack the Ripper committed his crimes during a few short months, most say. She was considered a possible j suspect to be Jack the Ripper, but there is nothing whatsoever that proves it in any way or even connects her in any way other than, oh, she might have been around London. That, that's all we got. So now as far as her children, uh, there's no word of what happened to any of them except William, of course, the boy. The youngest, he married in 1915 and died in 1959, I was able to discover. So... Wow, that's quite something to live with, right? I I would have changed my name and just pretended that it never happened. Yeah. If if I was related to that person, be like, nope, nope, not related. Different different side of the family. Yeah, right? So then in 1902, a man named Walter Hawks was gardening in the yard of his house at Fish Ponds, which is a suburb of Bristol, and he found the remains of five children. They were one to six years old. And 
also found tape that had been used to strangle them. Some examination of the remains found that, in addition, lime had been applied to try to counteract the decay smell, although we know from the police who first went to the, the, one of the houses that didn't, didn't really work. And that home, it was eventually realized, Amelia Dyer called her own for about a year. Yeah, and like I wonder if they ever went back through like all of her other like residences or places that she was at least known to have stayed and dug up the yards because I bet there'd be bodies in every single yard. I imagine that some authorities considered it, but I bet the kibosh was put on that pretty quickly because however many places she lived, no one is going to be happy with that. You know, like nobody's going to be but, like, oh, great. You found a whole bunch of dead babies in my yard. Thanks. I'm going to live here so comfortably now. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what would you do if the police show up at your door and be like, can we dig holes in your yard? We suspect there's bodies. Move. Yeah. <laughs> move. I would move. Even before they started digging, I would be like, well, the for sale signs up. So uh, if you get to dig in uh, after we sign the papers, you got to talk to the next people because I'm not doing this. No, no messed up. So yeah, I bet that that's not something they could, even if they decided, yeah, we'll try this. I bet a lot of property owners were like, "Mm -mm, nope, sorry, not happening. Rather not know. Ignorance is bliss. Because then that also, I don't know what the real estate laws are in England. I know that some states in the US, you have to disclose whether somebody died in the house, things along those lines. So I don't know if that would be required by law for people to disclose if they were selling the property or even renting it. There's loopholes there, though, because did did those kids die in the house? We have no idea. I mean, yeah, there are loopholes, but we don't know if those loopholes exist in England's laws or not. I didn't even think of this until now, but I so I didn't look up England's property laws, but I wouldn't. That That's too much. They had baby <laughs> farms. How many laws do you think they had? <laughs> they also had laws that said, hey, you knock a girl up, you're good to go. No problem. So they did yeah, have well, laws. They just weren't great ones. Yeah, no, their laws didn't protect women and children. So I, I would think it's suffice yeah. to say, be like, ah, it was either a woman or a kid. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, this was 1902, so I'm sure that attitude was still pretty prevalent. Yeah, because that's, I mean, that's only, what, six years after they, they killed Amelia. Yeah. And then, finally, we fast forward to 2017. Just three years ago, as we record this, the great-great-grandson of Detective Constable Beatty Anderson who we said was the guy who used the microscope to find the address that led to them tracking down Amelia Dyer, found a box in a loft. In that box was the packaging used to wrap up Helena Fry, the very first baby they found in the river, along with string, white dressmaker's tape, and an evidence bag. And the general idea is probably that in that day and age, detectives would have been the ones presenting all this evidence, all these exhibits to the court themselves. So they would have brought it in and then maybe taken it home, which is how it ended up there. And that was donated to the Thames Valley Police Museum in Sullumstead, where there is now an exhibit about Amelia Dyer, the baby farmer. And oddly enough, all the pictures I saw on their website were of children. <laughs> <laughs> they love the kids. Yeah, I was a little thrown off. I was like, what What are these kids looking at? And sure enough, there's a picture of like 
12 kids all looking up at an exhibit that's like the gruesome murders of seven. And I'm like, I don't even know what case that is. And I'm horrified <laughs> because I know the next one is probably Amelia Dyer, the baby farmer. <laughs> all right, kids, next exhibit. Oh, what do we have here? Oh, she murdered a bunch of babies. Oh, look at that, kids. Isn't that fun? <laughs> all those children will never want to take another field trip ever again. So, do you have anything else on Amelia Dyer? I do not. Okay. That is Amelia Dyer. Um, do I have any other bullshit that I didn't get to in the beginning? <laughs> I don't know what's what anymore. Uh, I guess Christy I is don't. tapping out. <laughs> I'm tapping out. Yeah, yeah. That was... Well, you gave me such an easy case this week, Amber, so... Is there any more bullshit we forgot? <laughs> No, I have my bullshit that I do every week. My, you know, like the, I did the Patreon at the top. I mentioned the, oh yeah, the PayPal thing. Leave us a buck on the nightstand, a buck, a buck 50, whatever. Uh, we very, very much appreciate it. And we'll give you a shout out on the show too. So we will say your name and maybe we'll say it in a ridiculous accent or I'll sing it. Wow, that's going to. That's going to bring us a lot of money. Uh, so, yeah, you can do that via our email address, oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com on PayPal. You can also use that email address if you're not on social media and you want to connect with us about any potential interesting cases that you found or just, you know, tell us how awesome we are. Oh, reviews. God, why do I always forget reviews? You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It seriously helps. It is such a big thing for podcasts to leave them reviews and rate them. Because it really helps push you up on the charts. And that's the only way that people see you in those particular venues. So the more visibility you get by people leaving reviews and such, the more visibility you get. It, so it's definitely something you can do for not just us. Sit down at your computer, 10 minutes of your time or on your phone, whatever. If you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can have it on your computer. It's real easy. So sit down. And review us and your other favorite independent podcasts, because that is something you can do that costs zero dollars and helps so much. And we thank you, thank you, thank you so much for it if you do and if you have already. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to call an end to bullshit. Amber, what you doing this? Oh, wait, wait. Johnstown flood uh, story. Johnstown flood story. Yeah, just real quick. I was writing a short story on the Johnstown flood. It was a historical piece of fiction. And uh, I was doing a lot of research. That short story actually was published later in an anthology called The Binge-Watching Cure. But while I was doing the research, I was very deep in it. I, I thought I knew everything about the flood, and there was so much more that I learned. And the, the, it's just like this show. You know, you think that you know something about a murder, and then you start the research, and you're like, oh, oh, there's so many details. So I'm looking through just pictures to kind of immerse myself in, in the, the atmosphere of the, the city at the time. And I find this one picture on the Library of Congress's w w collection that's like somebody's lost doll. And uh, thinking that I'm actually going to see like, you know, a, a child's doll washed up in the debris. I look at it and oh, no, that's a baby. But uh, I was in grad school at the time and I was also like, you know, writing this short story and my brain was kind of fried. So I, I think I either blocked it out or I just kind of had no short-term recall left because I did it again like 10 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> I 
It was like, oh, somebody's lost all baby. Shit, I just did that. <laughs> it was horrifying. So yeah, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't go looking at pictures of. Yeah, don't do that. So anyhow, what you doing this weekend? Um, nothing. Yeah, I'm feeling I'm, that. I'm feeling that hardcore. I'm doing nothing. I, I, I don't have I don't have anything to say. Uh. <laughs> I actually have next week's episode of Detectives by the Decade to write, record, and edit over the next less than a week, but I'm sure I can pull it off. So uh, it might be close, but we'll see. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty much what I'm going to be doing most of the weekend. I might do some cross-stitching, and we're also getting ready for the new furniture that hopefully will come in. We're, the, that window's closing real quick. They gave us an 8 to 12 weeks window, and uh, and it's it's two weeks until the, it slams shut. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, looking forward to that. But yeah, uh, that's I don't have anything super exciting planned. We might have a, a, a video call with the gang on Saturday night. Yeah, we were talking about that. I don't know if I'm going to join or not because I have children and they are assholes. <laughs> and, um, and so sometimes it's very, very difficult to to speak on the phone without ah! in the background. Yeah. Uh, so we will see what happens. <laughs> sure, absolutely. We'll just take it minute by minute and play it by ear. But I, ho- I hope you're able to join us and that should be fun. So, yeah, well, we hope you, all of our wonderful listeners, have a fantastic weekend. We hope that you've had an enjoyable-ish time with us. I never know what to say about that. It's like, I know nobody actually enjoys listening to this, but it's in a way, like, therapeutic, cathartic. It helps in a way. I don't know. True crime. People enjoy listening to this. People enjoy it. It's everybody loves a good dead baby. It's so oh dear God. That's not going to be a t-shirt. I swear to you, Amber. It's not. <laughs> I think it's probably a lot easier to listen to than it is to tell. So <laughs> I hope you've had an easier time than I have. That's what I'll say. So until next week, thank you for listening to our filthy words and bye. Bye. My sources this week are Tony Rennell on Murderpedia, Wikipedia, Wikitree, Little Falls Weekly, transcript via Library of Congress, Sarah Lee on the BBC, and Donna Patricia Ward on History Collection. My sources this week are thefamouspeople.com, All That's Interesting by Katie Serena, xe.com, in2013dollars.com, <laughs> bbc.com by sarah lee and murderpedia.org 